Well, are you a good listener? I'm checking. Are you a good listener? Now, how often do people say this? Are you listening to me? Do you hear that very often? It's the question a wife directs to her husband who is uh, watching the football while she is talking. Are you listening to me? It's the question a dad says to his children who are still playing video games when they've been asked to come to the table multiple times. Are you listening to me? I would imagine it's the question that quite often primary school teachers are saying to their children. They're saying so very politely, I want you to put your listening ears on now. Now, why do people say such things? Well, because we know it is entirely possible that uh, ears that are in full working order uh, may be hearing vibrations coming from your mouth and going into them, but they might be missing everything that you're saying. We know that's the case, don't we? There's lots of evidence to say that actually listening is very important. It makes a difference. There is something I discovered this week rejoicing in the title, the International Listening Association. And they say uh, that there have been at least 35 business studies that have indicated listening as a top skill needed for success in business. 85% of our learning is by listening. And yet listeners are distracted, forgetful, and preoccupied 75% of the time. And most listeners only recall about 50% of what they've just heard and only about 20% of what they've heard over time. So being a good listener really matters. It matters in our relationships. It matters in in business. It matters in life. And that is especially true when it comes to the kingdom of God. Are we listening to Jesus? Do we understand what he has said? Do we understand the way that the kingdom of God grows? There are some who listen to him and understand the knowledge that he is giving, and there are those who don't. There are some people who are part of the kingdom of God, and there will be those outside the kingdom of God. And I think there can be nothing more important than to understand Jesus and to be included in his kingdom. I I cannot think of any more important topic than understanding how is it that people, uh, how how is it that the kingdom of God actually grows. And so today we start a four-part sort of mini-series looking at the parables of the kingdom of heaven that we find in Matthew's gospel chapter 13. And so I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 13, page 978. Page 978, Matthew chapter 13. And let's have a taste of how Jesus taught the crowd, shall we? Um, So if you're able, please stand. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. (laughs) Then he told them many things in parables, saying, 
a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Well, should we do the whole sermon like this? I tell you, why don't you have a seat? Why don't you have a seat? You realize what a blessing chairs are now, don't you? It's going to cost us 50000 to have chairs in the new building, so prayerfully think about how you want to give to the project. Otherwise, we'll be standing for all the sermons. Now, did you pick up the emphasis of what Jesus taught here? It's there in verse 9, I think. He who has ears, let him hear. Uh, the stress in this passage is that it is crucial to listen properly to Jesus. There is a certain way of listening to Jesus 
that understands and produces fruit. And the challenging point for us today is that it's quite possible to hear Jesus, but not to understand and not to produce any lasting fruit in our lives. Simply being part of a weekly crowd that does not mean that we are part of the kingdom of heaven. There were, after all, large crowds around Jesus on that day, uh, recorded there in verse 2. That's why he got into a boat, so that the people uh, uh, stood on the shore to listen to him. And I think the big surprise here is what he did next. He started telling them stories about seed. How odd. A massive crowd's come to hear, to, to hear what you've got to say, and you tell them stories about seed. Now, why do that? Why did he speak in stories? And why all this stuff about seed? Well, that's what I want to think about this morning. Two things I want us to think about. Uh, why did he speak in stories? And secondly, what's the significance of this particular parable of the sower. So why did he speak to the people in parables? The disciples thought it strange. That's why they came up to him into verse t- in, uh, after he's spoken. Came up to him, verse 10. Why do you speak to the people in parables? I mean, they thought it was odd. And I think there's basically three things that Jesus says in reply here. Firstly, he says, because people are hardened. People are hardened to the message of the kingdom of heaven. Now that's what verse 13 says, doesn't it? This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So Jesus quotes Isaiah. We, we read the Old Testament passage a bit earlier in the service. And uh, in that passage, God tells Isaiah he is commissioned to go to preach. And God says to him, by the way, Isaiah, your, your ministry is going to be um, completely fruitless. Because as you preach, people are going to harden their hearts against the message that I've given you. They're going to harden their hearts. They're not going to turn, and they're going to go into judgment. And as Jesus looks at this massive crowd, he's not carried away. You know, he's not thinking, oh, things are great here because of the massive crowd. He's not fooled. He looks at this crowd, and he sees that in many ways they are exactly the same as in the time of Isaiah. He sees people with hardened hearts, calloused hearts towards God. Verse 15, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, do you see the willful, the willfulness of this opposition to hearing from God? Jesus says they've got calloused hearts. What does that mean? Well, they've got hearts that have chosen to love other things in the place of God. Other things have become more important to them than God. And we know this is true today, isn't it? People set their hearts on so many things. 
People can set their hearts on, on money. People can set their hearts on career success. People can set their hearts on acclaim. People can set their hearts on a relationship. People can set their hearts on being religious and a religion that has nothing to do with the living God. And these people have become callous in their hearts because they've chosen to love other things in the place of God. And then what's the next step? Well, because they've got calloused hearts, they've become increasingly toughened and resistant to the Word of God. If I've, if I've set my heart on things other than God, then when God has to speak, I don't want to hear what He has to say. That's what He says here. They, have, they can hardly hear with their ears what God has to say. And there's a willful closing of the eyes to any evidence that might challenge uh, the way that they think and the way that they're leading their lives. They, if they open their eyes, it might lead them to repentance. But they don't want to. They willfully shut their eyes. They don't want to be converted. And so they won't be healed and forgiven. Now, Jesus had more than enough evidence of this in his own ministry. In a sense, if you recall, uh, it was a long time ago when we last looked at chapter 12. But in chapter 12, basically, it's an account of the conflict that Jesus had with the Pharisees. Here were these highly religious people. And they didn't deny that there were glorious uh, miracles and incredible things as demon-possessed people were freed. Uh, But they saw these things, and what did they say? They say, well, he does this by the, the power of the devil. That's how he does it. So closing their eyes to the evidence that was in front of them. Uh, They refused to recognize the evidence that Jesus was God's king. They refused to turn to be healed. Uh, There is none so blind as those who will not see. And that willfulness was clearly around in the day of Jesus. And I would say that it's still here today. There's so much evidence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the evidence of history, an empty tomb, and a growing church for the centuries. We have the evidence of change and transformed lives uh, in this room. There are hundreds of stories of that, uh, of the impact of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and yet some simply refuse to engage with exploring Christianity. They refuse to come and hear what this Jesus has to say. Yet despite this willfulness uh, of heart and rejection, look at the willingness of God. If they only return uh, there in verse uh, uh, 15, and I would heal them, he says. If they but turn, I would heal them. God is more gracious than we are willing. And it is against the backdrop of the hard-heartedness of religious people that Jesus turns to speak to the crowds. 13 verse 1, it makes the point. It's that same day. The same day that all this conflict had happened that actually he uh, goes out of the house, goes down to the lake, and then he speaks to the crowds in parables. So why parables? Well, because people are hardened. That's why he uses parables. But secondly, because parables can work past people's defensiveness. They can get by people's defensive opposition to God. 
We all love stories, don't we? It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. Um, the TV is constantly playing us stories, dramas. We love stories. We love to read stories in books. We love to hear the stories of people's lives. We love stories. They captivate us. They engage us. They pull us in. They get under our skin. Let me show you a classic of this. If you keep your finger in Matthew 13, turn with me back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And you'll find that on page 315 in the church Bibles. Page 315, 2 Samuel. When Nathan the prophet wants to confront King David uh, with his great sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the arranged murder of her husband Uriah, he doesn't just burst into the king and uh, condemn him. He begins with a story. Let's read these seven verses of chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb and that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a, a thing and he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Do you see how that story engaged David? It got under his defensive radar, his calloused, unrepentant heart, and it engaged his unrepentant heart, and his sin was exposed and confronted, and that brought him to repentance. So back to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, What I think we see here is the grace of Jesus Christ who against the backdrop of opposition doesn't give up and go home. He continues to speak parables to engage with the hard-hearted. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Thirdly, parables invite us to engage with Jesus, who gives more to those who humbly come and listen. And understand. The, the question I was wrestling again with this week was this Do parables conceal or reveal? And do you know what the answer is? The answer is this yes. That's the answer. Parables are like a spiritual filter. To some, they conceal. All some people here are simple little stories about seeds and weeds and pearls, and they mock Jesus, and his kingdom is hidden to them but to others they reveal they engage some people they know there's some deeper spiritual meaning and they are humbly drawn back to Jesus to seek to learn more and gain 
understanding. And that's what we see the disciples doing in verse 10. They heard the story about seed falling in different types of soil and the, and the different outcomes. And they've heard the command of Jesus, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so they come to him and ask, why these parables? Verse 11, he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Do you see that Jesus does have so much more to teach than these uh, simple stories? But only to those who are humble enough to come to him and to seek understanding and to seek to obey what he has to say. See, when it comes to this knowledge of the kingdom of heaven, then um, the more we are willing to listen and understand Jesus, then there's so much more to receive that he's willing to give. He came to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He came to offer the forgiveness and the healing of God for those who will turn from their hard-hearted rejection of God and will go turning back to God in repentance. He has so much more to teach. To receive Jesus Christ as king is actually to receive the greatest treasure we can have in this life or the life to come. To trust Jesus is to be given more than this world can offer. To receive abundance. We will receive abundance if we come and listen with understanding to this Jesus. He's done it all for us. I hope Sunday by Sunday you, you see that the great theme of this church is that Jesus Christ is our song. He is our Savior, and He's done it all for us. He's paid the price in His death upon the cross. He paid the price for our sin and our half-heartedness, our hard-heartedness. And if you're not a Christian today, why not turn to trust Jesus today? He has so much more to teach you if you'll humbly repent and turn to trust him. And at the end of this sermon, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer that you could do that very thing. So why parables? Well, we've thought about three things of why Jesus spoke in parables. Firstly, because people's hearts are hardened. Secondly, because parables get past people's defenses. And thirdly, parables invite us to engage with Jesus. So secondly this morning, what is the meaning of this parable of the sower? Now I've heard some preachers say uh, it's really the parable of the seed or the soils. And, uh, and, and I understand why they say that. But notice with me, verse 18, Jesus does actually call it the parable of the sower. So you've always got a bit of a problem as a preacher if you're smarter than Jesus. right? He calls it the parable of the sower. And I think what we have here, the meaning of this parable of the sower, is that Jesus is both teaching and demonstrating how the kingdom of God grows. As a farmer keeps sowing seed for a future day of harvest, so his disciples should keep spreading the seed of God's word, the gospel. And I think the encouragement of this parable is, is this, keep spreading the message of the kingdom of heaven. Don't stop. Don't be discouraged. Don't be put off. Keep spreading 
the seed of the gospel. Keep teaching about his identity, that Jesus is the, is the promised king. Keep teaching about his mission, that he came to achieve our salvation in his death upon the cross. And, and his resurrection proclaims him to be the returning judge and the king that will bring in his everlasting kingdom. Keep proclaiming that message. Keep proclaiming the need for people to repent and trust him. To hear and understand is to, is to repent and believe so that we can be saved and enter his kingdom. And this parable encourages us to keep doing it and, and not to be discouraged by the hardness of heart and apparent indifference. Jesus has been met with huge hardness of heart, but he doesn't stop, does he? He goes out and addresses the crowds. And he uses parables. And this week's study has challenged me to think about um, how can we be creative to engage people. Uh, Jesus was very creative in the way he engaged people. How can we do that and persistently keep sharing the good news as Jesus did? We got to know a lovely Spanish family. They spend a few months every year here in Edinburgh. And uh, Sean and I went out uh, for them, uh, with them uh, one evening. And uh, they, they, they said this. Uh, they said, well, you know, if, if God is there and he cares... And he cares what we think, then why would he have any problem with us, they said. We're good people. We're good people. And they, they are. They're lovely people. Why would God care about us? We're good people. And so I told them a story. A story I heard from Jesus. Always handy to have stories of Jesus up your sleeve, isn't it? And I said to, uh, I said to the man, uh, imagine that while you're living here in Edinburgh, you rented out your apartment, your home in, in, in Spain for two months. And while you're here, you receive a postcard from those uh, tenants. And they're notifying all their friends and colleagues of their permanent change of address that they've moved into your home permanently. And uh, you go bed on a plane. You get over there and you, you put your keys in the door and, and it doesn't work because they've changed the locks. And you look through the window, and, and, and they've actually, the place is very tidy, and it looks like they've watered the plants and, because they're good people. I said, have you got a problem with that? He said, yes, it is my house. He did. He was as impassioned as that. I mean, this, he was incensed at the thought of it. I think he was worried it was happening. It just got under his skin. And I said, well, let's, let's say we send your son. Their son is a friend of my son. Let's say we send your son uh, to go and, and ask them to leave and to sort it out. And there you are back at home and, and uh, you hear a knock on the door. You're waiting to hear what your son has to say about what happened. You open the door and there's a body bag. And you open it up and it's your son. They've killed your son. What do you think should happen now? And so I explained, you know, that's exactly what we've done with God's world. This is his world. It belongs to him. Everything we have, everything we enjoy is God's. And yet if we go through life just uh, um, never acknowledging God, never thanking God, and, uh, and if we go through life rejecting the son that he sent, what, how do you think God should treat us? Now, where did I get that from? It's the parable of the tenants, isn't it? Great, great story. I tell you what, it grabbed them. 
what creative ways can we think of to engage people who seem indifferent, who seem disinterested? Well, this parable encourages us to, to not give up, but keep going. It encourages us not to be discouraged by delay. Uh, you know what? When you plant seeds, nothing much seems to happen, does it? Have you noticed that? And now's the time to start planting seeds. You get excited, you get out there, you, you push it in the, you bury it in the sand, you scatter your stuff, and uh, you come, I don't, I don't do it. Soil, mud, my wife's laughing at me because she, she does this, she does all that stuff. I dig, she, she does whatever she does. And, uh, but you know, as, as I understand it, you know, you go back the next day, you think, great, where's the fruit? Well, it's not there, is it? Next week you come back, what is it to see? There's nothing to see. What a, what a dull business. Come back a month. Really, there's not a lot to see. There's delay. And it can be like that. It can feel like that. Teaching Sunday school, week in, week out. You prepare your hard lessons and, and you wonder, are they even listening? Is it going in? Um, maybe you bring your friends and loved ones to guest events, to Sunday preaching. You invite them to read the Bible with you and nothing much seems to be happening to begin with well that's the nature of gospel work it's like planting seeds don't be discouraged when there's apparent delay keep going because you know um, as the soil starts warming up and there's moisture that little seed will start germinating it'll start swelling roots will start going down uh, shoots will start going up and one day it'll push to the surface there'll be little leaves and the plant will grow and grow and then one day you'll dig up delicious potatoes or you'll eat lovely peas or you'll, you'll get the fruits of your labor but it takes time and what is it that achieves this harvest? it's the seed isn't it? and Jesus is teaching that uh, God's word does the work the gospel does the work but we have to play our part of spreading it, scattering it, putting it into people's lives. There are three brothers uh, in the church where uh, Shona grew up, and uh, they're the Maxim brothers. And two of the brothers, Michael and Chris, appeared to be very hard soil. I think I've told you a story once before, but it's a great story. Very hard soil. I remember trying to preach. I'm still trying to preach learning to preach, but I remember trying to preach there and look out and I would see their faces. They'd be in the pews. They didn't want to be there. They'd been out clubbing the night before, having a rare old time, a bit hungover, sitting there. Dad dragged them. They didn't want to be there. They scowled at me or, or started falling asleep. Didn't want to be there. For years and years and years, it was just like that, bored indifference. But a great miracle happened. Hardened soil became good soil. Despite much delay, despite seeming wasteful sowing, a harvest came and they both became Christians. All three are Christians. I'll never forget the night I was in Glasgow and it was a, uh, a Christian concert and I noticed as, as there was a choir and there in the choir were the three Maxim boys singing their hearts out to Jesus. Amazing. I mean, if you'd gone back in time and said this is going to happen one day, you'd think, no way, hard. But God's word does the work. Don't be discouraged by delay. 
The most amazing story of the power of God's word despite delay comes in Mark Dever's little book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism, which is a great book. And he recounts the story of Mr. Short, a New England farmer who lived to be 100 years old. Sometime in the middle of the 1700s, he was sitting in his field reflecting on his long life. This is in North America. And as he did, he recalled a sermon he had heard in Dartmouth, England as a boy before he sailed to America. And the horror of dying under the curse of God was impressed upon him as he meditated on the words that he had heard so long ago as a boy and was converted. He was converted by a sermon he'd heard 85 years earlier by John Flavel. Isn't that amazing? Don't be discouraged by the delay. Keep sowing the gospel into people's lives. And don't be discouraged that much sowing seems to be wasted. I mean, in essence, this is a story of, of lots of failed seed, isn't it? Um, there's the hard path where it just seems to bounce off people. doesn't seem to even penetrate them. I, I, I've had that happen. I've invited, I remember inviting some friends when I was at dental uh, school to a, a great carol service event. One of my favorite preachers was there. He was terrific. Hugh Palmer, he preached the gospel brilliantly. It was crystal clear. And on the way out, I said to him, so what do you think of that? And they said, I didn't understand a word he had to say. Just bounced off them. And the enemy of our, of our souls is keen to snatch away the gospel message before it's made any impression on people. And then there's the seed sown on rocky soil where the soil heats up quickly uh, because of all the rocks and, and it causes quick growth. But because uh, there's nowhere for the root to go, uh, when the sun comes up, it shrivels. And it's like the person who initially responds with great joy to the gospel. They hear the gospel, they say, oh, this is the best news ever. I want to become a Christian. But over time, um, as they face persecution, difficulties, setbacks, that profession just shrivels away to absolutely nothing. There's no root. There are others, uh, like the seeds sown among thorns, like a person who keeps, uh, who's heard the gospel, makes a response, keeps turning up to church, keeps professing to be a Christian. But really, they're distracted. They're distracted by, it says, the Lord Jesus says here, by the, uh, the worries of this world and by the deceitfulness of wealth. You know that wealth is deceitful, don't you? It appears to give us um, security, gives us everything we need. It's deceitful. It is neither secure nor can it really give us what we really need. And yet we can spend so long worrying about how we get more of it, how we can accumulate more of it. And that concern can choke the spiritual life out of us and make us unfruitful. For young people, it can be educational goals, it can be sporting achievements, it can be sexual attraction that's responsible for this diversion of interest. In midlife, it's financial stress, it's family responsibilities, maybe it's career ambition. And, you know, well, it's just not the right time for me, this. In old age, it can be preoccupation with health. Um, something is always going wrong if you're old, basically. You're good friends with your doctor. Or his preoccupations with your garden or your grandchildren. It just never ends the distractions of this life. Whatever stage of life we're at, there are dozens of such distractions. 
and it can be so discouraging um, to see people who started the Christian life but who get sidetracked who never seem to produce any real fruit there's no real change in their life and, and for whom Jesus becomes less and less significant and the main point of this parable is you know what, this will happen this is going to happen but don't be discouraged. That's what Jesus is teaching. Don't be discouraged. Don't stop sowing. No, keep sowing. Keep spreading the gospel into people's lives. You see, if we persist in sowing the seed of God's word, there will be a bumper harvest. That's the point. Verse 23 is absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? The one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man or the woman who hears the words and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. If you uh, put seed in and it produced thirty times what you sown, you'd be pretty happy, wouldn't you? Well, some thirty times, sixty times, hundred times what's sown. There will be a bumper harvest if we keep uh, persisting in sowing the seed of the gospel. As we keep connecting people with Jesus who tr transforms our lives and makes us fruitful disciples. A few weeks ago, um, I heard uh, Michael Green uh, share his testimony. Michael Green is a, is a church minister. Um, and uh, he, he says he was quite a wild boy growing up. He was an arsonist. He liked to set fire to things. He was quite a troubled boy. And yet at school, he was, he was led to Christ by the ministry of a man called E.J. Nash. Bash, they used to call him. As he was invited to, a, uh, to hear the gospel in a Christian union event at school. And he was transfixed by the message of Jesus. And he became a Christian. Well, a few weeks ago, at the age of 84... So he became a Christian in high school. At the age of 84, there he was still preaching the gospel to the combined universities, uh, CU meetings here in Edinburgh. Whereas has happened many times uh, through his life, many put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through his preaching of the gospel. You know, it just takes a seed to go in good soil in one person's life, and the harvest can be phenomenal. At the end of this series of seven or eight parables, depends how you count them, Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 51. Look over the page. This is, he, he finishes all these parables, and he turns to them, and he says, Have you understood all these things? Do you see how important understanding is? Have you understood all these things? going to come back to that question every week over the next four weeks. Have you understood these things we've been looking at? Well, do we? Are we listening? Are you listening? Am I listening? Well, how do we show that we're listening? How do we show that we understand? Well, firstly, by being those who turn from our rejection of God by putting our trust in Jesus for salvation. Secondly, by being those who, like we see Jesus doing here, are those who spread the gospel to those that we meet. 
Do you understand these things Jesus said? Well, the, the proof of that is not merely, uh, oh yeah, we understand it. It's actually, are we getting on and doing it? Are we spreading the gospel? There are so many ways we can do this. You know, we have an outreach table every Sunday and they hand out the good news newspaper which contains the gospel. Just trying to hand out the gospel that way. Uh, I was so encouraged to hear this last week about the work that's going on in International Fellowship every Friday night and on the International Cafe on Thursdays as many people get the opportunity not only to uh, improve their English but also to study the Bible for the first time. It was great to visit uh, Derek Prime this week who was telling me how a friend of his uh, attends the same hairdresser and his friend had given uh, the hairdresser a book written by Derek that shared the gospel. And the hairdresser told Derek that after she'd read it, she'd passed it on to someone else who worked in the shop. And after they'd finished it, she'd handed it on to someone else. Isn't that great? And uh, typical Derek, he gave me a book. <laughs> Heaven, How I Got There, a great book by Colin Smith sharing the gospel how about the story of the thief on the cross. And guess what? Well, Derek's been giving that to a few of his neighbors. What a great idea, isn't it? find a good evangelistic book and hand it out to our friends. Let them have a read of it. Or why not invite someone to read the Bible with you and, and get hold of the word one-to-one? It's very easy. Just reading through John's gospel. Who knows what God will do as we seek to put the seed of God's word in people's lives? Only God will know. I can guarantee this. If you never scatter seed you will never see a harvest. That's certain, isn't it? But the more the farmer sows the seeds, the more harvest he will see. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are we listening to Jesus? Well, maybe you have been listening to Jesus and uh, you've been understanding and you know you need to turn and put your trust in Jesus and you haven't done that yet. Well, why not respond to Jesus today? I want to give maybe some people today the opportunity to do that. And I'm going to lead in a prayer now and uh, I'd invite everyone to bow their heads. And uh, if you're not a Christian and you want to become a Christian today, I'd invite you to pray this prayer one line at a time under your breath because it matters that we respond to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place on the cross. And rising again on the third day. Today I realize that I've been blind and deaf to you. Please forgive me and change me. Today I want to turn and put you first in my life, Jesus. I believe in you. 
I turn from living my way. And from this day forward, I want to listen to you and live your way. Thank you for hearing my prayer and making me your child. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer uh, for the first time and you meant it, why don't you um, fill out one of these Connect cards?